And so, if you got your Bibles there and go to Revelation chapter 5 to start with, we're going to be right there, Revelation 5, Revelation 6, but Revelation chapter 5, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 4 again, um, we had introduced several weeks ago uh, concerning a, it's one of our, our heavy topics, and again, we've, we've gone over several heavy topics uh, that we've been doing this for a while. Now, we've gone into more of an end times heavy topic, and I've, as I said before, I'm not a huge end times person. I have not done years and years and years of study of it. I have not tried to make it my entire ministry to know all about the end times. However, we are in a situation in a time frame now where it's important for God's people to not uh, not be unaware. It's important for God's people uh, not to live uh, in a way in, in which they have no clue about what God gave us in the book of Revelation concerning end times. I don't think we need to get so wrapped up into it that that becomes everything that we do 24-7 is just uh, research, investigate, try to figure out all the mysteries. I believe that it can get to be a, you know, it's a, it's a very dangerous cliff once you get close to the edge. And if you're not careful, you become all about what's written in Revelation and instead of being all about the reason it's given to us in the first place, and that is to challenge us to get out there while we still have time and reach somebody with the gospel because the last thing you want anybody to face would be to have to go through the tribulation, but at the same time, uh, you definitely don't want them to, uh, to go into eternity having never Receive the Lord as our Savior. So our time on this earth, whether you you end up dying first or the Lord returns, regardless, our time is short. Even if you live a long life, it's still really short. And so there's not much time to accomplish why God leaves his people here. You weren't saved to sit soaking sour. You were saved to get out and witness and tell somebody about the very salvation that has changed your life, about the very Savior that has made the difference. And every child of God is a witness, whether we understand or know that or not. We are given the truth, and once you contain truth, you instantly have that which you need to be a witness. Now, how we witness is going to be up to our obedience as the Spirit leads, but, um, but we are to be a witness regardless. And this is to challenge us uh, to understand what's coming, not to be ignorant concerning it, but also we don't want to get off and get too ridiculous about it either and get sidetracked from its main purpose. Now, I will say this, and I'm not going to rehash everything that we've already covered, even though what we've already covered was really fun. I enjoyed it. But we looked at chapter 4 and chapter 5, uh, looking at the seven sealed judgments. Uh, we, to understand the seven sealed judgments, you have to go back to chapter 4 and chapter 5 and look at what is taking place in heaven uh, when John is ushered in to see that which God has given him to see and try, may I say, with the leading of the Holy Spirit, try to the best of his ability with God's help to give us the best opportunity to understand what it is he was witnessing. Because there are some things that uh, even, as we said before, even Paul himself discussed as a, 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 in a way to understand how difficult it is to be able to uh, translate to those who did not personally see something that is hard for us to even comprehend. And so John is doing the best he can with the leading of the Holy Spirit to write down and pin down and, and, and lay out the book of Revelation for us to see and understand. And there are some things, 
that are very clear. There are some things that may be a little blurry uh, uh, and that God will make clear in time. Uh, and then there are some things that are just listed as a mystery that God will only reveal himself. But, um, but as a whole, we, we get to Revelation chapter 6 where that starts the seven seal judgments. But you have to look at chapter 4 and 5 to know what's happening in heaven to understand what the seven seal judgments really mean. And, and what they really, uh, uh, what, what their purpose is in the area of starting something. And so as we looked at chapter 4, chapter 5, uh, we ultimately just came down to the understanding that there are, in those two chapters, uh, there are two truths that are revealed. The first truth we said is only one receives the focus and glory, and that is God himself. He receives the focus and glory, and only one is found worthy. And that's Jesus. Found worthy to what? Found worthy to open the seals. And that's what we find in chapter 5, verse 1 through verse number 4. Let me read these verses, then we'll pray, and we're going to jump over to chapter 6 and start looking at, I believe, tonight we will be able to accomplish one seal. All right? I'm just telling you, that's all we're going to be able to do for tonight. Might as well just go ahead and be honest up front. But uh, look at verse 1 through verse number 4 of Revelation chapter 5. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. Uh, again, I, I emphasize, um, you, you could say, well, hey, there's no one worthy to open the book. Yeah, but it, it went beyond that. There's not even one worthy to look upon it. And I did mention the whole point of looking upon it if it's written on the inside and on the back side, that means that there is some things proclaimed and there is some on the back end, which means if you could look at it, you might be able to cheat. But you're not worthy. <laughs> There's only one worthy. And, and, and it, verse number four says, And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. I, I, I want to read verse number five. Uh, well, mm, 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 yeah, verse number five. It says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, uh, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I remind you, Jesus himself said, um, um, my brain went to die on me. Um, uh, Y'all help me out with the passage. I have overcome the world. Help me out. Be of good cheer. Yeah, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Um, I, my brain, I, I had it. Mem- yes, yeah, in this life you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. There we go. Okay, all right, that was it. Uh, but um, so Jesus himself declaring that he has overcome. Now you look back. I had one of those. My, some of y'all understand exactly what I'm talking about, even if you want to act like you don't. All right, but. 
The, uh, but it, it looked here and it talked about that he had prevailed to open the book. He has overcome the world. There is one who has prevailed. There is one who has come out victorious. There is only one who has died and raised himself back up. And that is Jesus. And so he is victor over death and the grave. He also has the keys of hell. And therefore, uh, none of that has any power over him. He is the victor. He therefore is the one worthy of opening the seals. And there's only one worthy found in all of heaven and all of earth. His name is Jesus Christ. And so as he begins to open the seals, we see different events begin to take place. And, uh, and I, 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 well, let me, let me pray, and then uh, we will, um, we'll, we'll dive in, and I'm going to give you the, the first seal. And, uh, and what comes along with that first seal as far as several different views of what it might could mean, and that's why we're only going to get one tonight. All right, but let, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look at these things, because you know we need his help as we look at things of this nature. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We pray that you'd help as only you can, give clarity of mind and thought as we dig into these truths as far as we need to. Give wisdom, Lord, to only go as far as is needed and as, Lord, as you would desire for us that we might be wise towards those things which we need wisdom, but also, uh, Lord, um, that we might understand the importance of what is to come, what you've given us to know, and, and again, the reason for it, that we might be uh, drawn and challenged to be a witness as we ought to. Again, use this time to help us, uh, Lord, to educate us from your book and, uh, and give us uh, some knowledge of things that we need. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. And uh, well, and as we look at the book of Revelation here, verse 4 and 5, here, here's an interesting um, comparison, verse 4 and 5 to verse number 6. In chapters 4 and 5, uh, not verse, chapters 4 and 5 and chapter 6. In chapters 4 and 5, um, you're presented with a time uh, in, in heaven of worship and, and praise that is taking place. Uh, and there's only worship and praise taking place of the one who sits on the throne, uh, again, we had mentioned last time about the fact that so many folks uh, will get wrapped up in the who are the 20, uh, 4 and 20 elders and what are the beast and what exactly are all these different things and what, what do they all mean? And, and people get uh, completely wrapped up in trying to peel back every little bitty layer, even if it's not really a layer, they're trying to make one out of it, trying to peel back every single layer so as to to, to look as though, look how much knowledge we have. But again, if you, have, you can have all the knowledge in the world and yet have no purpose for that knowledge and it's useless. You can have all the knowledge in the world and do nothing with that knowledge but argue and it's useless. And so therefore, your knowledge has to have a purpose and your purpose has to flow along with what God's purpose is. And if my purpose does not match God's purpose, it's purposeless. Y'all good with that? Okay? Y'all okay? with you with me? All right. So... Here it is. I have a purpose from God's word to know things that he wants me to know, but I must not lose track of what's important. Verse four, chapter 4 and chapter 5, 
are not, it's not about getting focused on the four and 20 elders. It's not about getting focused on, on, on the beast and all the, the ones that are, that are mentioned there, the, the strange creatures and the one with the, the different, all the different faces and all. And again, it might make for neat study, but again, it's not the focus of heaven. What's the focus of heaven? The throne. What's the focus of heaven? He who sits on the throne. I mean, when it comes down to it over and over and over again, we, we think we see again, like, like we saw in, in uh, verse number 13 and 14 of chapter 5, uh, and it says, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessed, uh, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. That's the focus. It's not all these other little pieces. John gives, he tries to give a vivid picture of what's taken place. But our center focus has to be the one who receives all the glory in heaven. And that is he who sits on the throne, God himself, Jehovah. And, uh, and so as we look at this, they found one, only one worthy to open the seals. What, uh, what are these and, and what is this book? I, I'll give you, as one preacher put it, and, and it, it, again, I'm not going to go deep into all this, but if you want to, the, the scroll in itself, it, it's sealed with seven seals. We are, I can't go into all the details on that, but it's sealed with seven seals, as we talked about last time, and, uh, and, but yet that, that scroll, uh, as one preacher put it, um, is representing to a degree, what you might would call a legal will from the heavenly father containing the promise of the inheritance of eternal kingdom that belonged to only his begotten son. There's only one who has the prescribed will, the, the prescribed inheritance that is being given. All, all has been given into his hand and there is a proclamation to declare it, but it must be unsealed in order to be finalized and read. And, and yet, if there's not one worthy to unseal it, and as, as one preacher put it, you see the grievance upon uh, the, 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 the life there of John, as it says, I wept much. Why? Because he understood from the basics of the, under, uh, uh, of the background where he came from, he understood what this document would contain. Though he may not understand what all it says, he understood the importance of it. And with no one worthy to open it, it won't be enacted. There's got to be one worthy. And so verse number one, it says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, uh, again, if, let me just put it this way. If you, if you have a different view than where, where I'm going to stand in the end of this on the first horse, that is fine. That is your view. That is your prerogative to do so. I'm going to give you what I believe honestly, is um, the most consistent with this passage of Scripture and with the consistency of all that we see in other things, what it is that is being laid out before us with the first seal that, that is here. But I'm going to give you 
three other views besides the, the last one will be what I think is the most um, consistent to be accurate to what is taking place here. But I'm going to give you four total views of what some believe uh, this horse and rider represent. Now, what we see is a white horse, a bow, a crown, and one who went conquering, conquering and to conquer. I'm going to give you some, some pictures of what those, I believe those things will, will lay out in, in a picture form to give us an idea of what's happening. I'll give you that here in just a moment, but I'm not going to give it, give it, away, give it all away in a minute, so I, I don't want to do that. But there are four different views as to what this first horse and rider represent. The, uh, the first view is that this, uh, this would represent one who goes on basically a military conquest. It is a white horse with a rider because of the bow and the bow being a, a, a type of, of instrument used in war. And it talks about he, he goes to, uh, to, to uh, conquering and to conquer. It, without doubt, this has to be uh, someone, this is picturing some kind of great war and some kind of great battle going on. Someone who is going to come in and conquer and take over and, and all on a white horse. Um, and, and so... I will say some of that comes in because of mixing time frames at the beginning and the end uh, of tribulation. But uh, you'll see one in a minute that actually gets even more closer to the mixing of beginning and end time frames. Uh, but this whole thing, the idea of military conquest could make sense, but it really makes the least of all, all, all of them making sense because uh, you see a couple of, of problems, Okay. The, one of the problems here is the second seal, which we'll get to another Sunday, because tomorrow next Sunday night's a cantata, so we won't get there next Sunday night. But when we get to it, we'll do the second seal. And the second seal deals with um, the, the red horse, and that particular seal, and that particular horse, and that particular description is of one who comes in and, and it is war and it is bloody and it is horrible. And I mean, a lot of things taking place that is a, a complete military conquest kind of appearance. And, uh, and therefore, to have the first horse and the second horse with no distinction, distinction uh, between the two horsemen and, and what they're riding, but to make it all the same doesn't follow in a flow of what God's doing. Everything that God does and everything that God puts into place has a purpose, and there are distinct differences to the different things that he allows John to see and give description of. All right. Now, I want you to understand as well, as you look at, at the four first um, uh, seals that are released, you'll find it's four horsemen on four horses. But I will tell you up front that as a whole, they work somewhat in tandem with each other, though are, they are separate seals that are opened. They do work together because as a whole, I'm, gonna, oh, I'm not going to give that to you because it'll give it away. Hold on. I can give that at the very end. <laughs> But they do work in tandem together, though they are separate seals. So to say that the, 
uh, the, the first horseman and his white horse and bow and all that to say that he is conquering and, and, and going on to conquer and, and all is representative of military conquest and death and conquering through force and might would say that, you know, yet the same thing happened in the first seal as you have happened in the second seal. Why isn't it just one seal? Why is it two separate ones? It doesn't flow with the fact that each one has a specific purpose. It would make it look like it's just all mashed together. And we serve a God that's a God of order and done decently and in order. And he has a purpose for each one. So uh, that's a problem. But also um, the second horseman, very specifically, don't want to get too far into it, but the second horseman and with the second seal speaks very specifically of how he removes peace from the earth which must, in the first horseman's time frame, during his conquering and to conquer, peace must still somehow be in existence for it to be available for the second horseman to remove. So it's not just a complete wipe of bloody contest and, 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 and conquering by the first horseman. There's conquering, but it's not through sword. That comes with the second horseman and the second seal. So it wouldn't make sense to say that this is military conquest as we see it, death and annihilation with the first horseman and the first seal. So the idea of military conquest kind of gets blown out of the water uh, when, uh, when you look at there has to be some distinct differences plus how do you explain complete annihilation and destruction throughout all the earth when actually there is peace to still be in existence to have been removed with the second seal. So again, some issues there. Then the, the, uh, the second idea is that um, the first seal with the for first horseman and all that, this all represents the proclamation of the gospel. Now, part of the reason for that is because much uh, of this view viewpoint uh, to present that argument comes from a majority focus on the color of the horse and not on the content of the passage and the content of what's going on. Well, it's a white horse. The gospel cleanses. The gospel washes clean. It's a white horse. And therefore, every time you see things that are white, it's talking about clean, robes, robed in white, it's cleaned and, and made pure. And so therefore, it must be the gospel going throughout the world. And, uh, and so part of the problem is you get too focused on one little element like a white horse, and that becomes the entire basis of all your truth. And you're missing the, the full understanding of what all has taken place, okay? So is the gospel going to go uh, and be available throughout the tribulation? Yes, it is. We've already talked about that. We'll talk about it more. But uh, there is going to be, there's 144,000 witnesses. There's two witnesses that'll be given specifically. And then there's, there's angels that God sends to go to and fro throughout the earth, preaching the gospel, preaching truth and declaring truth. And so uh, there is the gospel message, but that is not what this is. And may I say the main problem with, with the idea that this is the proclamation of the gospel, this horseman going on a white horse and spreading the gospel. The main problem with that for this um, is seen in the fact that uh, these four horsemen are related to judgment 
on the remaining inhabitants of earth. The gospel is hope, not judgment. The gospel is a declaration of salvation through Jesus Christ, not on the doomsday, you're going to die. Again, it's not the same message. Judgment and salvation are not the same message. And so, therefore, it'd be very hard to see and look at this and say, well, I know it's a sealed judgment, but it's the gospel going around the world. I don't believe that that is the answer. But then here's one that gets, I believe, really close. The third idea is, and I've heard this one before several times, is that the first horseman with this first opening of the first seal represents Jesus Christ. And he is on a white horse. And Christ is is coming, and in this first seal, Christ is the one going uh, to to, uh, conquer and and, and doing the conquering. And I mean, he's on a white horse. He has a crown, you know, conquering and to conquer. It sounds like Jesus. This must be a picture of Christ. Well, here's the thing. In Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16, uh, well, why don't you go with, it, go, go with me real quick, because y'all been staring at me long enough. All right? Look at Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16. Now, here is another description of a white horse. Now, Revelation 19 is after all that is, we're going to be looking at more details of different stuff, the tribulation, all that's taking place, and now you find one that is coming that is going to be riding a white horse. He is going to be conquering and be victorious. Now watch, verse number 11, down to verse 16, it says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, with white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords now there is no one uh, with with a a uh, a sane mind that is going to say that that does not Okay. There is no one with the same mind that would not say that's Jesus. If I say it the right way, I'm going to get backwards. One of those, uh, strike that, reverse it, okay? Anyone in any level of sanity is going to say there's no question, especially when it said, here's the word of God. Well, let's go back to John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Who is it talking about? 
Jesus Christ. And so when he's claimed the word of God, king of kings and lord of lords, there's no question. That is Jesus riding on a white horse coming back to conquer as king of kings and lord of lords in chapter 19. But there is distinct difference between the description in chapter 19 and the description given in one verse, Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 2. There's a lot of details missing in verse number 2 of Revelation 6. What are the likenesses? Well, there's someone riding a white horse who receives a crown and goes around conquering. But that's really the extent of the likenesses between chapter 6 and chapter 19. May I say, it is two different writers. It's not Jesus Christ. It is not him coming because it's not time at that point for him to come back and conquer. It's the starting of the tribulation. And here's just another simple thought. Okay, and well, two, two thoughts with that. Christ would not, as a whole, with his purpose and all that he is, Christ would not fit in the descriptive purpose of death and woe that the, other four, that the four riders are given in the four seals. Now, is he a judge of all the earth? Yes. Does he come to make war as chapter 19? Yes. But he's coming as the righteous judge. He's not coming just to kill, maim, and murder. There's a whole different aspect laid out for the four writers that we see in chapter 6. But beyond that, if you do consider this one thought, very simple, if Christ is the one opening the seals, he could not be contained in them as one of the four horsemen. That's just a thought. He's the one opening the seals, therefore he is the one enacting whatever they contain, He's not the one contained in it. There's something he's releasing with each seal. But he's the one doing the releasing. So let me give you, in closing out tonight, the fun part. What do I personally believe? And again, I'm not a huge, deep theologian, but this actually becomes very simple once you lay out the pieces and you see the consistency of Scripture. What do I believe that the white horse and the rider on this horse represents? Well, every part of the description given on this first horseman presents a clearly seen picture of the initial start of the tribulation period. So we have to consider the tribulation, the starting of the tribulation. What actually starts the tribulation? Ah, very good. An accord. What kind of accord? There's a peace accord. Okay? And so, this first seal starts the action of tribulation, which is not always seen, even by those here left behind, it's not always seen as, oh, we're dying! There's a period of time where there is great deception taking place, and there are people that turn to one who has the answer for peace. Now watch. 
And when they turn to him, you say, well, how, just how big of a guy is this going to be? I mean, just, just how important is he going to be? All of Israel will say he's the Messiah because he's, only, he's the only one that can bring this kind of peace for the whole world. He's our Messiah. Now, does it last? No. Does it even last halfway through? No. Even before the, the halfway point, even before the three and a half years, uh, the first three and a half years is up, you're going to find Israel facing major, major problems with other countries and other places attacking them and hating them. And you will find at the three and a half year mark, there's something big that does take place. And then you have this one who they thought was their, their Messiah, their hope, their help. You're going to find this individual going in and he is going to desecrate their temple. And all of a sudden, the scales are going to fall off and they're going, whoa, we've been lied to. He's not the true Messiah. And then that individual is going to lead the world in trying to annihilate all of Israel. But that's at the halfway point, okay? Then comes great tribulation in the last three and a half years. And as one said, why would it be so great? Well, because two things. Number one, it's God's tribulation. And then you'd couple it with the fact that uh, Satan, or I should say God's wrath, coupled with the fact of Satan's wrath. You add the two of them together, what hope anybody here have, honestly? You talk about it's bad enough when God's wrath is being dished out to you, but then when you have Satan dishing out his wrath with nothing to hold him back, that you want to talk about great tribulation, that's not going to be a good time. But we're dealing with right now the starting of it, the first seal. Now, here's an interesting thought. Satan is a copycat. Everything Satan does is, 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 is a, a mock-up and a copycat of what God has already declared or what he has already done. And so, would it not stand to reason that the one you see pictured here is riding a white horse as Christ would? Um, he, he has a bow in his hand, but what does the bow stand for? Well, in, in wartime, a bow ultimately would picture strength and leadership. He is, the Bible says in, in, in verse number two, that he, uh, middle part there, and a crown was given unto him. He didn't conquer and take it. It was given unto him. In other words, it was offered up. Here, please, be our king and ruler. Okay, now think about it. So he rides on a white horse. He has the evidence and appearance of strength and leadership. He has a crown that's given to him, and he goes around conquering and leading people as, as their savior, their conqueror. He is a counterfeit of chapter 19. What starts the great tribulation or the tribulation period? What starts it? A peace accord by a smooth talking politician 
who can put together something nobody's ever done, that can convince the, the, the known world that is left here and even Israel that he is the man of the hour and they will offer to him their allegiance in following him. So he rides a white horse, carries a bow, strength and leadership. He he is offered and handed a crown of control and authority. And he goes around conquering and to conquer, may I say, this is just the way I put it, possibly through political skill. He doesn't have to raise a sword and chop anybody's head off. He soothes and smooth talks them into following his answer for peace in the midst of chaos. And they say, here, take the crown. You're the man. And this horseman on a white horse with a bow and given a crown brings the first part of judgment that starts the tribulation. Because may I say, though, though the Antichrist brings a sense of hope, it is actually a fool's hope. It is false. And in the midst of giving him a crown, in the midst of giving him any area or sign of authority, they have surrendered over to the brutality that he has planned It is the starting of judgment. And they don't even know it. So, the first horseman on the white horse, opening of the first seal, what do I believe that is? I believe it is a picture of the Antichrist trying to look like Christ, the Messiah. And being given everything that he wants while he dupes the world into following his authority. And he has nothing but plans of misery and woe. And by the way, God ordained it to be so. Here's what one preacher said. I close with this. One preacher said, in all of this, you look at the four horsemen that we'll we'll look at more later. You look at the four horsemen One preacher put it this way. Some people think that Satan and all his evil workers with him during that time of tribulation have complete control and they are the ones in control of all that's going on. Wrong. Even during the tribulation, it's still according to God's plan. Christ himself releases the seal. Satan does nothing. Even during the tribulation, Satan does nothing that God has not already foreordained and given him approval to do. Now he'll go around acting like he's a head honcho of the whole thing and he's got control. This is my hour. (laughs) No, God says, yeah, only because I gave it to you. And I'll end it when it's time. But I believe that first horseman is the first release of the first things that are going to happen. What will usher in, again, when the, when the rapture takes place, that does not start the tribulation. 
How long is it from the rapture to the point of the starting of tribulation? I don't know. I don't believe it's a, a huge amount of time, but I believe there's going to be enough chaos and craziness going on. This world is going to be drawn, 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 and they're all going to come to a point of we've got to have an answer. Who can help us? And I believe there's going to be a point, which, by the way, it's going to take a little time to get everybody there for the peace accords. It's going to take a little time to put it all together. And it's going to be mostly ready, but then you've got to grab it all together and put everything in place, and then you've got to have everybody sign it. It's going to take a little bit of time, but the moment that peace is signed, clock starts. And I believe that peace accord is when God... Jesus Christ opens that seal and that man, that, that first horseman comes on a white horse saying, got the answer. I'm strong. If you'll let me lead you, I'll bring peace. And they say, here, take the crown of leadership and be our Messiah. Clock starts. Judgment has begun. And that's the best that it gets because it goes downhill real fast. But, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for tonight and the truth that we can see, Lord, and how we can gather in these thoughts and, and try to bring to an understanding of what it is that is.